So last week we started talking about living our lives with our hair on fire. And that is a life where we actually feel and experience the presence of God, where we actually touch him and we actually feel him and we actually hear him and we're actually heard by him. But it's also a life that is led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we've seen how when the people, when the church in Acts chapter 2 received the Holy Spirit, when God came to live in them, when their hair caught on fire, they started having supernatural power. They started having supernatural boldness. They started having amazing relationships and incredible generosity. They started seeing incredible miracles. They had Christ-like compassion. They had superhuman persistence. And as we look at those stories, I think some of us are ready to not, not just feel him and feel his presence and experience his presence, but also to experience some of this power. Right? We want his strength and we want his leading and we want his wisdom so that we can be more effective as Christians and more effective as spouses and more effective as parents and brothers and sisters and friends. We want his power so that we can become the people that he's created us and called us to be and so that we can do the stuff that he's created us and called us to do. And I gotta tell you, I've been talking to some of you, man. Some of us are pretty excited about the possibility of having this supernatural boldness that we've always wanted, this incredible persistence, this amazing generosity, this unbelievable compassion. And who doesn't want a supernatural dose of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, right? What does that mean? It's the fruit. When the Holy Spirit is in you, that's what grows out of you. Who doesn't want that? That's what everybody wants, and that's what we mean by living life with your hair on fire. It's a life of experiencing God's presence, this, like feeling him and hearing from him, but it's also a life where we, we, we experience his power and his leading as he's working in us and he's working through us. And listen, it's not greedy and it's not wrong and it's not selfish for us to want those things. In fact, 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, as Christians, we should eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. So can we all agree that we wanna live our lives with our hair on fire? Can we agree to that? Really? Because I'll start all over. <laughs> Listen, I got no place to be, man. I could do this all day. Can we agree that we all want to live our lives with our hair on fire? Yes. Okay. In that case, <laughs> we can proceed. Okay. So let's, let's, let's talk about how we do that. Right? We want the power, we want the boldness, we want the persistence, we want the generosity, amazing relationships, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. We all want that stuff. How do we get there? And it's just super important because it's what we all want. How do we get some, right? How do we do that? It's like if only there were a way God could communicate to us. If only there were like a book 
<laughs> that could help us with this. Oh, yeah, that mountain right here. What a coincidence. So let's, let's open our Bibles or turn them on or whatever you do. And listen, let's, let, and this is a weird topic, right? Let's ask some hard questions. And can we do something? Can we, can we admit that we don't know it all on this subject? Because I'm gonna tell you, I've, I've studied a little and I've read a little and I've researched a little and there are some really great, really godly, really smart, really educated, really spirit-filled people who don't agree on all of this stuff. And you know what? We don't have to agree either. Let's just see what the Bible says about how we can experience God's presence through his spirit and how we can experience his power and his fire. So, first of all, hard question. This has always been confusing to me. When does it happen? When do we get the fire? When, when does the Holy Spirit come to live in us? When does our hair catch on fire? Because I've heard different things. I've heard some people say it happens at salvation. You receive the Holy Spirit. And then I've heard other people talk about, well, no, it's a, it's a second experience. And... I mean, that church in Acts chapter 2 was pretty obvious when it happened to them because their hair was on fire, right? You notice that about people. And sometimes you see these manifestations in us, but it's like, when exactly does it happen? Does it happen at salvation, or is it like a second deal? And so let's, let's talk about that. Um, let's talk first about it happening at salvation. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen says, We have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. So that seems to say that everyone who is in the body of Christ already shares this same spirit. Uh, 1 John 4, 13 says, God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and that he's in us. And so that seems like the Holy Spirit is proof. It's a mark. It's a seal. It's a stamp on everyone living in him, even if they've only been saved for 30 seconds. So it kind of makes it seems like you get the Holy Spirit immediately when you're saved. And it's even stronger in Romans 8, 9, which says those who do not have the Spirit of Christ do not belong to him at all. So that means if you do belong to him, you do have his Spirit. And so that seems like it happens. Like you get the Holy Spirit. Your hair catches on fire right when you get saved. But... There's another side to that, right? It's a little bit confusing because like the disciples got the Holy Spirit way after they got saved. And some people would say, well, maybe that's because the Holy Spirit wasn't available yet when they got saved. But Acts 19, which is way after the Holy Spirit came, talks about believers that had been baptized for repentance. They had been saved, but they had not yet received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So it seemed like, okay, well, it's two separate things. So it's, it's a little confusing, right? And then Ephesians 5.18, Paul gives these instructions, and he's talking to us. He's talking to saved people. He's talking to Christians. And he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So why would he tell them to be filled with the Holy Spirit if they already had the Holy Spirit from their moment of salvation? So I don't know, it, it's, it's kind of hard to understand. Um, I will say this as we're talking about things that we don't understand. Do you want to worship a God so small and so simple that you can fully understand him? I don't. 
I got enough of those, right? I mean, we're surrounded by people so simple that we can understand them. I, I, don't, I don't care to worship a God that is so easy and so simple and so basic that I can fully understand him. So it's, it's hard to understand, and I think it's okay for us to admit that it's hard for us to understand. It looks like we get the Holy Spirit right at salvation, but maybe there's also like a second event, or maybe there's a lot of them. Some people talk about a second baptism, right? The, you've all heard that term, right? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some people talk about getting a refill, right? It's like I've got, the whole, like I, I got gas in my tank, but I'm going to top it off, right? Like I got the Spirit in me. I just need a little more, right? Right now, grace for the moment. I need a little more of the Holy Spirit right now. I've heard people talk about it being a rekindling, like, you know, the fire's already in me, but you know how when you poke a fire, it like gets hotter and it flames up. It's like, I was, the fire's in me. It just kind of got like heated up. And I've talked to lots of people, and so have you, that talk about this, like a separate experience with the Holy Spirit that happens after salvation. Or you'll talk to people that say, you know, I felt the fire, but then it kind of cooled off, but then it came back again. And so it's like, they got a refill. So. Was it a refill? Or did they somehow like poke a fire that was already in them? Uh, we sing a song that says, let us become more aware of your presence. Is that what it is? It, it's already in there from salvation, but the second experience is us just becoming more aware of it? Is, is that it? Or is it a second baptism? Or is it a refill? Or is it all of that stuff? Or is it none of that stuff? And I'll tell you, Christians love to argue this one. Let me say that shorter. Christians love to argue. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. Christians love to argue about this. And really smart, great theologians disagree on this, man. Churches have split over this very debate. Do we get it at salvation or is it a separate experience? And as an interdenominational church, with lots of people, with lots of different backgrounds and different ideas. We probably got lots of ideas about this. In fact, I can just go ahead and prophesy what's going to happen right now, okay? After church today, several people are going to come up to me and prove to me that you get it at salvation. Or no, you, they're going to prove to me that it's a separate experience. And then tomorrow morning, I'm going to get some emails that are going to continue to explain to me that it's one or it's the other. And so what I thought about doing because we know we represent a lot of different kinds of people and different ideas here is just kind of divide the room, you know? And let's just get all the people to think it's a, you know, you get it at salvation, you guys are gonna sit on the right side and all the people to think, no, it's a separate experience, you're gonna sit on the left side and then, you know, we're just gonna pray, Holy Spirit, give more power to the side that's right. <laughs> and it's like, last person standing gets to win, so. Pick up your stuff. <laughs> Let's get ready to rumble. We're going we're gonna to have the big. I thought about that. Prayed about it. Talked to some people about it. I was the only one that thought it was a good idea. So, And I thought, you know, is this really something worth dividing over? I mean, we stuck together through COVID, and we're going to punch each other over this. Maybe it's just different understandings. Maybe it's just different perspectives of the same awesome thing, right? Maybe it's even just a different way to say it, a different way to describe, a different way to say this 
amazing experience of having God live in us. So instead of fighting about when it happens, let's just talk about how to make it happen. Huh? Let's just talk about how to make it happen because if there are things we can do to bring about this power, that we can feel God, right? We can experience God in a real relationship. We touch him and he touches us. We hear him and he hears us. If, we could, if that's on the table, if that's available to us, let's talk about how to make that happen. If we can really experience this power, we can have supernatural boldness and persistence and generosity and love, joy, peace, patience. If we can have all that stuff, let's, let's talk about that. Instead of arguing about when it happens, let's talk about how it happens. And I think it's kind of weird because we want to make it happen, but obviously we don't get to tell God what to do. And we don't get to tell God when to do it. And we don't get to tell God how to do it. So talking about how to is kind of weird. But Ephesians 5.18, Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus. He's talking to us. And he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Those are instructions for us. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm not a grammar expert, but how are we supposed to obey a command with a passive verb? How, right? Right? Be, you don't say to your coffee cup, be filled with coffee, right? Because the cup will say, that's not, that's not up to me, right? I'm not in charge. I'm just here. I'm just here, right? So how can Paul tell us to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And it seems to me that there's some kind of like partnership or some kind of like interaction between us and the Holy Spirit. And, and it's, it's, maybe it's a little tricky. And I'm gonna tell you that last week, I think I learned something about this. I think I had kind of a revelation about this. And it was while I was trying to figure out how to do that illustration with the people with their hair on fire, because I was really trying to figure out how to do that without setting off the alarm and without the sprinklers coming on and the fire department coming and you know anybody dying or whatever. So I, what I do, I talk to my fire guys. right? I talk to my fire experts. So I talked to Brett Joyner. I talked to Robert Rainbolt. They're both firemen. And they were super helpful to me. And in fact, Robert taught me something really, really important. And it's called the fire triangle. Maybe you've heard of the fire triangle. But what it means is, I think we have a picture of it. There it is. To start a fire or to build a fire or to keep a fire going, you have to have three things. You have to have fuel. You have to have heat. You have to have oxygen. You have to have all three or you don't have a fire. And that's why when we go to put out a fire, sometimes we throw water on the fire. What does that do? It cools down the temperature. You take away the heat, you have no fire. And the fuel can be anything combustible, right? It can be anything that, that can be lit. So that could be wood or paper or oil or fabric or anything. And when there's nothing, when there's no more fuel, when there's nothing left to burn, fire goes out. And you have to have oxygen. And that's why when you're trying to get your fireplace to go, you blow on it, right? Or you have those, what do you call that thing? Bellows. That's why you have bellows, because it blows air, and that's what really, like, flames up the fire. So those three elements have to be there. You have to have fuel. You have to have heat. You have to have oxygen, or you don't have fire. So I was wondering, what are the necessary elements, if this is a partnership between us and God, what are the necessary elements 
to the Holy Spirit fire? What are the three things that we need to get that fire going or to burn brighter or to burn hotter or to stay going so that we can experience his presence and so that we can experience his power and so that we can experience his fire? What are the fuel and heat and oxygen of the Holy Spirit fire triangle? And I think the fuel is salvation. I think that's, that's the first side to this thing. It's gotta start there. We may not understand exactly the timing of this. We may not all agree necessarily on the timing of this, but I think everyone agrees that no one receives the Holy Spirit or his power or his fire before they become Christians. Can we agree to that? Yeah, right, so it's the first element of the Holy Spirit fire, salvation. Look at Ephesians 1.13. It says, when you believed in Christ, when you believed in Christ, he identifies you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. So it starts with faith in Jesus. When you become a Christian, he gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit to lead you and empower you to follow him. Uh, in Acts 10 and in Acts 11, there's a pretty cool story. It's about Peter, and you know, Peter was Jewish, and the Jesus movement was happening mostly within the Jewish community, and he's now getting out in the world, and he meets some Gentiles. He meets some people that aren't Jews, and they are claiming to be Christians. They're claiming to be saved, and he goes, I don't think so, because you're not even Jewish. And then all of a sudden, they say, oh yeah, well, check this out. And they start like having these manifestations of the Holy Spirit, and so he goes, wow, you have the Holy Spirit. I guess I was wrong. I guess you are saved. So the Holy Spirit is like God's stamp on us. It's like a seal that he puts on us. It's, 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 it's an identification mark. It's a good way to look at it. It's like an identification mark. 1 John 4.13 says, God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and that he lives in us. So the first side of the triangle, if you want the power, if you want the fire, if you want the love, joy, peace, and all that of the Holy Spirit, is you have to become a Christian. And so I'll just tell you, if you're here or if you're joining us online and you're not a Christian, we should resolve that first, right? Because there are some amazing benefits to being a Christian. Uh, one is to have all of your sins forgiven. And so you can have now a relationship with a holy God. Uh, two is to spend eternity after you die in a perfect place where there's no sin and there's no death and there's no disease and there's no betrayal and there's no cancer and there's no divorce, that's where you spend forever when you're saved. And then kind of an additional benefit of that is your hair catches on fire, right? And you have this power and you have this experience of actually touching God. So if you're joining us online, there's a place in the chat box or the comment section where you can let us know that you'd like to become a Christian and one of our pastors will contact you. If you're here in this room, we've got people in our prayer corner back there right now that would love to talk you through this process and you can know in five minutes for sure that you're saved, that you're gonna spend eternity in heaven. Just walk back to that corner and tell them and they would be just so excited to talk you through that process. So the first side, of the fire triangle, the first element that's necessary for the Holy Spirit fire is salvation. That's, that's the fuel, okay? So what's next, right? What is the heat? If the first side is, is salvation, what's the heat? What adds the heat to our salvation? And I think the heat is our passionate obedience to follow Jesus. I think if you're saved but you're not experiencing that fire, you might wanna look at obedience, doing what he calls us to do and, and, and living like he 
calls us to live and being where he calls us to be. Hebrews 11.6 is a great verse. It says that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him or who sincerely, earnestly seek him. He's a rewarder of those who really are trying to seek him. And one of the great rewards is the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if we want that reward, if we want that gift, we need to diligently, earnestly, sincerely seek him. And that's, that's obedience. This is a really, really big deal. Look at Romans 12.1. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies. This word bodies means like everything about you, right? Your whole life, your whole self. Give your whole self to God because of all he has done for you. And let your life be a living and holy sacrifice. Everything you do, all your behaviors, everything you do, let it be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. So you know what they're talking about with the sacrifice. You've seen the movies, you've read the book, right? They have an altar, right? And what do you do with the sacrifice? You, you take something and you lay it down before God. You take something of value, right? You lay it down on the altar before God. You give it up to him so that it can be caught on fire. And that's what... Jesus' followers are called to do. We're called to lay our lives down as a sacrifice and live his way. So what does that look like, right? How do I lay my life down? What, what is that? It, it's obedience. It's going where he calls us to go and doing what he calls us to do and being where he calls us to be and living like he calls us to live. If we want the fire, if we want to live our lives as living sacrifices, then we passionately follow his instructions. We passionately follow his instructions. Passionate obedience. Passionate obedience means I'm going to go where he leads me, man. I'm going to I'm going to do what he instructs me to do. I'm I'm going to I'm going to be faithful to him. I am going to diligently seek him even when I don't feel like it. We don't want to get mixed up about this and think this is just all about how we feel. I'm going to do those things even when I don't feel like it. Here's an example. Um, I, have, I have an appointment with God that I keep every morning, that I just, in the morning, I just have coffee with Jesus, right? And I do that, I do that every day, and it's not rocket science, you know. I pray some, and I worship some, and I listen some, and I read the word some, and I meditate on his word, and I've, I've made a commitment to do that. I've made an appointment with him to do that, and it's, it's, that's part of obedience for me, right? That is, that is me diligently seeking him. That is making myself available to him by doing what he tells me to do and acting like he tells me to act and being where he tells me to be. And some mornings, I'm gonna tell you that I have these crazy, amazing, powerful, fire-filled moments. And some mornings, I don't. Some mornings, it's just, I don't know. I'm not, some mornings I'm not feeling it. But I made a commitment, right? I made an appointment with Jesus. And so part of obedience is, whether I feel it or not, I keep that appointment. That is diligently seeking him. And it's just like in any other relationship, right? Some things I do because I feel it, 
And some things I do because I want to feel it. Follow me on that, married people? Some things I do because I feel it, right? I want to hold the door for her, right? Oh, I want to let her pick the restaurant. You know, I want to do it, oh, because it feels good. And sometimes it's like, well, I want to feel close, so I'm going to do these things to bring that about. That's, that's me diligently seeking him and giving my life as a living sacrifice to him and just waiting for the fire, right? That's passionate obedience, and it is an important element in this triangle. In fact, it's a necessary ingredient if we want to experience his fire and his power and his presence. And I'm going to tell you, it makes sense. I mean, ultimately, what God asks you to do, where he's asking you to go, he's, he's leading you to a closer walk with him, right? He's leading you. The things that he instructs us to do are things that bring us closer to him so that you can feel the fire, right? So you can get close to it, so you can experience the fire and, and his power and his presence. And I can prove it to you. Think of a time, if you've been a Christian for a while especially, think of a time when you did feel the fire of the Holy Spirit. Think of a time when you did feel supernatural love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Think of a time when you did feel incredibly, supernaturally bold or generous or compassionate. Think of a time when you really felt the fire. Where were you? What were you doing? Were you living in obedience or were you living in disobedience? When you really felt the fire, were you like passed out in a bar? Is that when it happened for you? Oh, I just feel Jesus. <laughs> Another round, you know, was that, is that is it arguing with your spouse? Is that when you felt it? Robbing a bank? Were you robbing a bank when you felt it? You walk in with a gun, okay, everybody, hands up. And while I've got mine up, I'm just going to praise Jesus. <laughs> right? Is that, is that when you felt it? it? When you were in disobedience? Or did you feel the fire? Did you experience his presence? Did you feel his power when you were living in obedience to him, when you were in church, when you were in your life group, when you were passionately worshiping him or praying to him or reading his word or serving his people or just loving people? Isn't that when you felt the fire? When you were passionately acting in obedience. And listen, when God gives instructions, we don't really need to know why. But maybe that's why. Maybe that's why he calls us to do those things. Because they bring us closer to the fire and, and they bring us closer to him. A great example, um, Hebrews 10, 25 instructs us to go to church. Don't forsake the gathering together, right? That's what it says. Don't do that. And, and I'll ask you, do you think that that instruction is in there for our benefit or God's benefit? What do you think? You think God needs you to be in church? Let me give you a hint. God's fine, okay? He's good. It's not for him. It, it's for us. I think the reason he instructs us to go to church is because that's us diligently seeking God, obeying his word, being where he is, being in that place, right? Let me ask you a quick question. Whether you're online or in this room, how many of you right now are in church? Just quick show of hands. It's almost 100%. That's awesome, right? What is that? That's you diligently seeking God. That's you being obedient. That is you laying down your life as a sacrifice to him. And that's, that's what the disciples did when the fire came, right? They followed instructions and they waited for the Holy Spirit to come. Jesus said, Go, get together, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. So they got together and they waited in Jerusalem until the fire came and then, you know, their hair caught on fire. 
that church in Acts chapter two, right after Pentecost, they were living in obedience. They were serving each other and worshiping God and taking communion and going to church and serving the poor and learning the word and praying together. And just look at the firepower that those people experienced, that amazing generosity and boldness and compassion and miracles and persistence and all the stuff. God fired them up and God filled them up and God used them to change the world. And I don't think it's a coincidence that they just happened to experience the fire while they were living in obedience. I think that their passionate obedience was an essential ingredient of the fire. And look around, right, in your life, have you ever seen a correlation between people who are living lives of passionate obedience and people who have experienced the fire and the power of the Holy Spirit? Have you ever seen a correlation between those two groups of people? I have. I can tell you, the people that are the most passionately obedient are the people that always seem to be experiencing the fire. They're the ones that feel God. They're the ones that experience him and experience his power. So I think if the first side of the Holy Spirit triangle, if the fuel is our salvation, maybe the second side, maybe what adds the heat is our passionate obedience to God's instructions. Both of those things are needed for the fire. And the cool thing is, both of those things we can choose, right? We can choose to be saved, and we can choose to be obedient. But the third side, we can't make happen. The third side, the air, is a gift. We can't make it happen. It's like all gifts. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. We can't make it happen. We just ask for it. <laughs> and receive it with gratitude. And this, this third side in this triangle, the air is literally the breath of God. In John 20, we see Jesus, he's given like the last second instructions to the disciples. And in verse 22, it says, then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And the word John uses here, this breathed, is the same exact word from Genesis 2-7 when God breathed his life breath into man. And I think John did that on purpose. I think John wants to make that connection for us, that when, when he breathes into us, he's breathing into us the same life-giving spirit that hovered over the waters in the beginning. He's breathing into us the same creative power that spoke the universe into existence. Jesus is breathing his life-giving, universe-creating spirit into them. And they couldn't make that happen, right? They couldn't manipulate it. They couldn't earn it. They couldn't deserve it. They couldn't make it happen. And neither can we. It's a gift. It's a gift from our Heavenly Father. Look what Luke says. Luke eleven eleven. You fathers... If your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask them? It's, it's a gift. And if we want him to breathe his spirit into us, we can't make that happen. We, all we can do is ask. All we can say is, God, look, I'm a Christian. The first leg is good, right? And I am, I am diligently seeking you. I am obediently giving my whole life to you as a living sacrifice. 
but I need the third side. I'm asking for the gift. I'm asking for you to breathe on me. I'm asking for you to ignite this fire in me. I'm asking for you to let me feel your presence. I'm asking for you to let me experience your power and your fire. We can't make it happen. We can only ask him for the gift. So if you're a Christian, right, and you are diligently seeking him and you are living a life of, of, of obedience to him, all that's left for you to do if you want to feel his presence, if you want to experience his power, if you want your hair to catch on fire, all that's left is for you to ask him for the gift. So let's do that. Let's ask him for the gift. Can we just, can we just pray together about this? Can we do that? Say yes. Don't be scared, okay? Let's just pray. God, we are your children. We are, we're saved. We're saved. We've accepted the salvation of Jesus. That's the first leg. And we are passionately obeying you. We are giving our lives as living sacrifices in obedience, trying to go where you tell us to go and do what you tell us to do. And so, God, we're asking you for the part that we can't do anything about. We're asking you to breathe your spirit into us. We're asking you to just fill this room and just fill your church Fill us with your spirit. Give us the experience of feeling your presence so that we can touch you and you can touch us and we can hear you and be heard by you. And give us the experience of your power, of your fire. Give us supernatural boldness. Give us supernatural generosity. Give us supernatural persistence and compassion Give us a, like an extra supernatural dose of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and all of those things that you promise us. That's the fruit that grows out of us when you are inside of us. And so, Lord, we're just asking for a bumper crop. We're just asking you to breathe on us, to blow on this fire, to ignite us. Give us your spirit. In Jesus' name.